So today is the 12th of December, 2020. It's a Saturday. We've just been chanting, keeping these verses as uh, the focal point of our hearts. And uh, we do this uh, because it's normal for our minds to be thinking a lot, to be proliferating constantly. And if we don't uh, practice meditation at all, or try to cultivate our minds during the day, if there's just thoughts going on, then they'll very easily get involved in the things that we are attached to, become anxious over them. And so if we have children, then there'll be worries and concerns about those children. And even if they're good uh, people, then we'll still be worried about them be concerned uh, that uh, they may not be safe, that uh, their goodness uh, may decrease. So it's easy in this case for mothers and fathers to think a lot about their kids and they can become quite stressed over them. So if we're going to develop a mind that is spacious, that's very open, then it needs to have something to rest upon. And just like our houses are the places of rest for our bodies, um, so too our minds need a place of rest. So for our bodies, if they're feeling very hot or very cold, um, or if there's some kind of danger, then we can use our houses to protect them from this. So the physical pain, difficulty that we experience decreases. And if we have a resting place for our minds, um, then they'll be able to uh, come to peace. Because if we just allow them to think constantly about many different issues, we just let them loose to proliferate about these things, then uh, calm just can't arise. So we need to train our minds, train them to recollect the goodness that we have done, and just like we've been chanting right now. So we try to keep our minds with that chant, and recollecting goodness. So we place our bodies in a respectful posture, we uh, place our palm, the palms of our hands together in Anjali. So we have this uh, praise of the Buddha through our body. And then through our speech, we praise the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha as well. And in our hearts, then we recollect with faith uh, the triple gem. So it's not just our mouth that's moving. It's not just the memory of these verses coming up but we also take our hearts to chant along as well. And this aids us to keep our mindfulness here in the present moment. This is another form of goodness that we are building. So there's the goodness, the merit of reciting the Dhamma. This Dhamma, the, uh, the well-taught uh, Dhamma of the Buddha, the Dhamma which is timeless which gives results independent of time. And these teachings of the Buddha are very amazing. And if our hearts 
realize them, then our hearts in turn become something that's amazing. So we've seen these incredible things externally in the world, and the many different uh, amazing, wondrous things that are there. But realizing the wondrous heart is something else. Knowing the mind that is very satisfied, that's contented, that's joyful. So this happiness that comes from merit and from our generosity. So perhaps we feed fish in a pond or feed turtles. And when we do this, the heart feels very buoyant and joyful. And as we do this more and more, and this, uh, this happiness of our hearts increases, then rapture will fill up our minds. It feels just like we've eaten until our stomachs are full, and so our hearts get filled up with this joy. In the state, the mind is very energetic. And with this bright energy, we see that that is merit. So there's merit that comes from sacrifice, merit that comes from giving. And as we do this often, we feel internally very at ease and joyous. The goodness that we have increases. And uh, as this increases, then the Dhamma uh, that's present in our hearts also increases. So when we sacrifice, um, we're also abandoning selfishness at the same time. And if we train ourselves in samadhi, then what we're doing is we're keeping uh, a wholesome object, such as the Buddha, as the focal point of our minds. So we can use the breath as well. So as we breathe in, we recite Bud. As we breathe out, we recite Do. We close our eyes to just enough in quite a relaxed way. We have our um, left, our right palm upon the left. And uh, it's also okay to put it the other way around if we feel that that's more comfortable for us. <clears throat> and then we have our left leg on top, or our right leg on top of the left. But the opposite is also okay if that feels more comfortable. We set our body up straight in an upright posture and place our mindfulness to the fore. And what that means is to keep it on the breath. So we close our eyes in just, uh, just enough, not too tight. And we bring up the feeling that we're sitting all alone and try not to allow the mind to think about the past or speculate about the future. And also we don't try to control our minds, try to force them. Because if we do, then that will prevent the mind from becoming still. So we, any thoughts that happen, then we, we pull the mind back to the breath and watching the breath as it comes and leaves through the nose. We place our mindfulness back every time uh, our mindfulness leaves and we're aware of it. So if we do try to control too much, then it's very natural to develop headaches and the body feels ill at ease 
can feel very cramped and stifled. So we shouldn't try to control it to the breath to be short or long in any way. We need to be quite careful about this. But if we habitually try to force the breath, then we should use uh, a method um, to try and uh, go around that. So one is, as we're breathing, um, we can count. So we count in pairs. So the in-breath, we count one, the out-breath, two, the in-breath, sorry, the in-breath, one, the out-breath, one. And then the next pair, the in-breath, two, the out-breath, two. And then three, three, four, four, five, five. And then when we reach the fifth pair, we come back to one again. So with the in-breath one, the out-breath one, and then go up to five, and then increase it one more to six. And so we go initially up to five pairs, and then the next round to six pairs. And if we can do that well, then we go back to the first pair again and count up to seven pairs, and then go back again and count up to eight, and then the next round to nine, and then to ten. But if we forget where we're at, then we should come back to the beginning, to the first pair again. So if we do this, we may find that we feel at ease and we're not uh, trying to control the breath. And as we become skilled at it, the heart becomes peaceful and this counting will just stop all by itself. And the mind will just be content watching the breath and feel very still and at ease. And as the mind settles with the stillness, uh, then it becomes empty and joy uh, arises uh, through samadhi. So that's the first method. And there's also a second method that we can try if that's not working for us. And that's quickly counting along with the breath. And so the purpose of this is to have mindfulness here in the present moment, to cultivate these qualities of sati and samadhi. So there's the dhamma of sati, and there's also the dhamma of panya as well that we're bringing up. And these are all ways that we pay homage to the Buddha. So there are many, many different methods of homage. We may chant, we may offer flowers or incense. But the way that the Buddha praised the highest, and the way that he said it was most appropriate to pay homage to him, is through this cultivation, this bhavana. So if that first method doesn't work for us, then we can try the fast counting. So with the in-breath, we count one, two, three, four, five. And then with the out-breath, one, two, three, four, five. And we need to uh, look, play around a bit to see what uh, number is good for us to count up to. So maybe one to six or maybe one to seven. Uh, whatever works, whatever we feel comfortable with. And it may be different for the in-breaths and the out-breaths. So maybe with the in-breath we count from one to five and then the out-breath one to six, and that's okay as well. So if we carry on doing this, then the mind should grow stiller than it was before, 
and grow more clear, more comfortable. So both of these methods are the practice of anapanasati, which means recollecting the breath as the object of our minds. So there are many different kamatanas, meditation objects that the Buddha taught, but this anapanasati is uh, appropriate for all character types. So if there's someone who tends towards greed or towards aversion or delusion, or perhaps someone is of the character to uh, have lust very easily, or someone's of a faith character, this being aware of the breath is suitable for all of those character types. And it uh, becomes the foundation uh, of many people's practice and something that we should train ourselves in initially. So if we can do this well, then peace should become established in our minds. And this peace through seeing the breath as it comes and leaves. And we'll perceive uh, the nature of anicca, dukkha, anatta, of inconstancy, of stress, and not self within it. Uh, through noticing that it comes in, it stays for just a very short time, and then it leaves. So we see that it's inconstant in this way, and that it's stressful in this way, that it's not self. So this, these uh, qualities or these characteristics of anicca, dukkha, anatta are the objects of vipassana, of insight. So we can look into them in just physicality, in rupa, and see all material things, um, that they all come and go. And also all sounds, all smells, all feelings that contact our body, these are all things that come and go, that arise and cease. And through seeing this inconstant nature of them, we become weary with them. And the lust that we have towards them is extracted from our hearts. So this is through seeing all things as arising, staying for just a very brief time, and then ceasing. And sometimes this ceasing, this deterioration happens very quickly. So even though now our bodies may be very strong, well, tomorrow we don't know what's going to happen. And it could be that a very grave illness comes upon us. We don't know. This can happen for people who are young, can happen for the elderly. It's just that for old people, they're more at risk. But these things are not sure, they're uncertain. So just like when we chant the uh, five uh, subjects of frequent recollection, so that we're of the nature to grow old, we're of the nature to get sick, and we're of the nature to die that we're not freed from old age, sickness, and death. So if we uh, look at this, and then we'll see that it's dangerous to be without mindfulness. It's dangerous to have a mind that's devoid of samadhi. But if we do have these qualities of sati and samadhi, um, then as we chant, the meaning of that will go very deep into our hearts. 
and we can contemplate this nature of old age, sickness, death, that we're all subject to these things, we're not free of them, that these are things that are normal for us to experience in the world. And this contemplation will reach very deeply into our, into our minds until we see the truth of them, we understand them. And in doing this, the heart becomes very full, very joyous. And seeing that it is really true, this nature of inconstancy, the nature of stress, the nature of deterioration, that Sankara's conditioned phenomena are this way. So in doing this, then, we gain an understanding of the Dhamma, that we see the Dhamma, and through seeing the Dhamma, then we see the Buddha. And this perceiving of the Dhamma is something that's very amazing. And because these teachings, the truth that the Buddha taught, is the most amazing thing that there is. The problem is that even though the Buddha taught it, we just don't see it. And that's because our eyes aren't good. It's like we're blind. But it's our inner eye that's blind. So just like externally, if there's no light, if there's just darkness, then we can't see anything, even though things are there. But if someone shines light into that place, then we'll be able to see what's around us. And so too, if our minds are bright and radiant, then we'll be able to perceive the Dhamma of the Buddha. It's something that's very subtle, though. It's something that we need to contemplate in a very deep way. But really, just watching the breath is enough. So we see the breath as it comes and as it goes. And through doing this, then we can understand that the body is something that is unsatisfactory. You see that if the breath comes in, but it doesn't leave, then we die. This body starts to decay. Understand that there's no animal, there's no being, there's no self, there's no other there. It's just a collection of elements that are following nature. It's decaying, deteriorating constantly, following causes and conditions. But when the body dies, then the air element just goes and follows uh, the nature of air elements. The water element it goes back to the water. The earth goes back to the earth. And the fire goes back to fire. And there's nothing really true, nothing real there. It's just that our minds need to depend on these bodies. They rely on them. And if we're someone who has goodness, then we'll use that opportunity to cultivate goodness, to cultivate merits and kusala, skillfulness. So this merit can come from generosity, can come from uh, determining the precepts, can also come from helping out in work and society. So maybe at the monastery or maybe in the wider society, we can help out with things. And we can also gain merit through paying respects, through being humble. So for children to be humble towards their parents, and for people to be humble towards their teachers. This is all forms of merit. Yes, but it is, however, something that we need to train ourselves in because it's natural for us that we don't want to 
give way to anyone. We just want to have things our own way, that we have conceit, we have views that we attach to. There's always this sense of self, and we're thinking upon that, giving rise to all of these views, all of this conceit. But we need to come back and ask ourselves, is this really right? Is it correct to be thinking in this way? Are the thoughts, the views that we're holding, are they harming ourselves? Are they harming others? We try to uh, develop this quality of humility, and this is a form of merit for us. So the Buddha, he trained himself through countless lifetimes to be humble. He trained himself in this quality of humility. He also had this great boundless kindness and compassion, and something that was limitless. And even though his qualities were so great, were so profound, still he taught himself to be humble. And still he taught other people to be humble as well. And uh, he said that this was the foundation of the arising of the Dhamma. Because we need to bow and humble our hearts into the Dhamma. So there's the merits, uh, or the many different kinds of merits that uh, we can develop. So the merit that comes from generosity, that comes from the precepts, that comes from cultivation through listening to the Dhamma. These are all things that uh, we should try to cultivate and try to bring up within our lives. And then when we have this merit, uh, we can spread it, we can dedicate that to other beings. So to the practice, the hungry ghosts, we can give our merits uh, to them or share it with them, and to all beings as well. And we can also offer the merits that we've created uh, to those beings that have great paramitas, great spiritual perfections. Even though uh, the merits that we have may be very minute. Uh, still, we can offer this to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha as homage to the Triple Gem. So we offer our merits to these great uh, qualities or these great things, and we can uh, dedicate it to all beings, especially to those beings who are in a very difficult place and who don't have the opportunity to cultivate merit for themselves. So doing this is a form of kindness and compassion. And when we cultivate uh, metta, this kindness, it turns into a form of samadhi. It can allow our hearts to collect together and come into a state of profound peace. And this, in turn, can free our hearts. It can bring them to vimuti. And so it's possible to reach vimuti uh, from this metta samadhi to attain to the state of sotapanna or even to arahant. So in the morning, we should think thoughts of metta and think that during this day, we're not going to harm any beings. We're going to let go of any unskillful thoughts that we have. We're going to try to abandon all greed, hatred, and illusion that arises within us. And then in the evening, we can recollect this again and ask ourselves, did we get angry with anyone? 
Are we averse to anyone? And if we are, then we should try to forgive them, to not hold on to those grudges, to not keep any ill will, to not cling on to any hatred, because things are uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen. When we go to sleep, we don't know if we're going to wake up again. We don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. And maybe there won't be. And in the morning, we don't know if our life is going to last until the evening. Things are unsure in this way. Maybe we're not even going to make it to midday. So life is not sure, but death is sure. Death is the culmination of our life. Our lives must end in death. And no matter what the case, after not long, these bodies will have to deteriorate. They'll have to decay. It's just we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when our bodies are going to get sick. And it can happen very quickly. So we can uh, contemplate into the water element. One aspect of this is blood. And it's possible for the blood to change quite quickly, for it to go out of balance and for sickness to arise. So if the red blood cells uh, become less and less and the blood becomes very diluted, uh, then this can quickly lead to our death. And why is that? Well, it's because the bodies are of this nature to deteriorate and it can happen very quickly. But if, while this happens, we keep our sati, our mindfulness, and we have wisdom with us, then dhamma can arise immediately. We can see that really this is not self. We ask ourselves, well, we don't want this to happen right, but it's still happening anyway. So we can see that it's beyond our control, that these bodies are not self. When our minds have mindfulness like this, when they have samadhi, then we can see into the nature of samuti, these conventions, and thereby become liberated, attain to vimuti. So we see that uh, all of these conventions, they're not self. And um, that with every passing second, all of these things change. They're just anicca, dukkha, anatta, there's no essence to them. Or the things that walk around, the things that sit, that sleep, that eat, that drink, they're all not self. And they're things that don't last for long. They're just elements that follow nature, that arise, stay for a little bit, and then cease. And this mind too arises and ceases. And when we perceive things in this way, then we don't get caught up in them. We don't become elated by them. We don't become despondent. We don't get excited over these things because the mind has gone above them. It's reached the point of lokutara, dhamma. It's abiding beyond and above the world. So when we train ourselves in this way, then dhamma of this quality can arise, this lokutara, dhamma. It's a very wondrous, amazing quality. So like the well-taught Dhamma of the Buddha is amazing and wondrous as well. So we should all try in this path, put in our efforts. And if we do sincerely do this, then 
we'll meet with the real stuff. So may all of you uh, really try and be sincere in your practice.